Got to tell you about Talk Mobile, our title sponsor. Talk Mobile is an innovator in retail and works with organizations like T-Mobile to operate in stores throughout Arizona, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Louisiana. For more information and jumpstart your career, visit www.talkmobilenet.com, our title sponsor. Welcome back to the Hard Parking Podcast. This is your host, Jay Finning, changing things up with the music. Hope you guys like it. That's the way we're going. Want to get into some things. Coming up in a little bit, we're going to be rejoined by Brian Kalma. If you haven't listened to my last dance bonus episodes, one through five, which covers the docuseries hours one through 10, Brian was on all five of those special episodes. I thought we were done with the last dance, which is the documentary about the 1997-90 Chicago Bulls. But there's been some fallout, and I needed to talk to him about it and get his opinion. So that's coming up in a little bit. I'm also going to do Jay's Rental Car of the Week, even though I'm stationary, have not left the house as far as work, travel in two months at least. But I'm going to reminisce on one of my old rental cars that I it was pretty fondly of thinking back. And I wanted to share that with you guys because part of that segment is introducing just normal, average, everyday cars to people out there who may think about buying them as you know, their vehicle. They don't have to be high-end quality supercars, but we all drive something. What drives you? Oh, you like that. Also, if you're new to the show, if this is your first time, please subscribe. It's the Non-Automotive Automotive Podcast. Also, check out the YouTube channel. There's more videos coming, including archival updated audio. I feel like it's a platform that we need to expand to, although we don't have any of these super cool videos like the real YouTubers, but I'm trying. I'm spending a lot of hours learning how to do that stuff. So I look forward to your subscription on that. And of course, we're going to have some Q&A. And if we have time for it, Instagram profile highlight of the week and Tech Talk, which isn't TED Talk, but Tech Talk, like the Builder's Corner. But first, there's something I really wanted to get into. And I see this all the time on social media. And it's not too, this might get me in trouble. It might get me in trouble with a lot of my peers. But for those of them who understand where I'm coming from, they're going to agree with me. It doesn't matter if you do podcasting and you're just starting out. If you're just learning how to paint, these are your crafts. And one of the things that disappoints me a lot to see, because I get a bad feeling about it, is when you get indie podcasters, new artists, whatever. So indie means you don't have any major sponsorships. You're not like part of Podcast One or any of the major income podcasts. So so like this is an indie podcast. Sure, we have sponsors. But these sponsors are peers of mine from previous relationships that I still had to prove to them that I was serious about doing podcasting before they would buy into the show. But we get a lot of indie podcasters asking their listeners, or not even their listeners, but just other people in our podcast groups, what do you want to hear? You know, What should we talk about? I'm running out of things to talk about. Give me ideas to talk about stuff on my show. And to me, that's different than asking your listeners what they want to hear. And here's the difference. So if I do a small business podcast and it's about growing your small business and the necessary steps of marketing, if I ask you, what do you guys want to hear? Someone might say, well, within the context of your podcast, I want to know what's the best way of prospecting clients in a new area. If I don't have any experience, should I go door knocking? Should I go through the phone book? Are we still using phone books? Something to that effect. To me, that is completely different than me standing on a corner potentially and saying, hey guys, I'm here, what do you want me to talk about? Because for the vast majority of us, people aren't there to hear us for who 
we are per se. People are there for the content that we deliver. And in that, depending on the style of show, we're able to also give them our content in a little bit of a slice of who we are as a person. Like I said, an exception to this aforementioned is if you're running a specific show about a specific thing, like I said, growing a small business. But if you're running the style of podcast or you're doing this type of art where there is no outline, there is no style, and it's just complete randomness, even if you aren't even sure exactly what you're getting into podcasting for to begin with, that's what it sounds like. But you need topics, any topics to talk about. Those who you collected initially are going to be there. So I'm talking about your friends, your family your fellow indie podcasters like me. But if you're trying to really grow, not knowing what to talk about or asking your network to provide you with content, to me, in my opinion, is a dangerous game. It means you haven't even got off the ground very far and you're already running out of stuff. Again, people aren't there for you who you are a person unless it's family or friends. The random person is there for the content that you have. Are you entertaining you know, what's your goal? What's your purpose? Are you there to educate people? Are you there to uplift people? Another dangerous thing I'm seeing is there's a lot of mental health podcasts from people who aren't mental health professionals. That is a very dangerous game. You can bring a mental professional on your show and so people can interact. You as the host can interact with them. But giving people advice, mental health advice, when you're not a professional is a very dangerous game. It's even harder when you're doing a solo podcast. So think of it like this whole thing is like door-to-door sales or multi-level marketing. And what I mean is when you were a kid, right, for most of us, you would sell candy bars door-to-door or you'd bring the box of candy bars home and give them to your parents, one of your parents, and they'd take them to work and sell them for you. But your immediate neighbors, your family are more likely to buy because it's you, not because of what you're selling. It's because it's you. As you get further down the street, the buyers start to thin out. Once you get to the next street, now it comes down to what the buyer is actually consuming. They don't care about you as much as what it is that they're spending their money on. Multi-level marketing is the same thing. You blow through your family and your friends, you find some success, and then you really find out if what you're peddling is any good because people stop being there for you. They're there for the product. Your podcast is your product. Your artwork is your product. Your message when you're doing public speaking is your product. A motivational speaker doesn't ask the crowd what it is they want to hear. The crowd is there for them to get motivated. One of the favorite shows I listen to is the Dan Libertar show with Stu Gatz, sports podcast. When people complain about the show on Twitter, they always talk crap to the host, which, by the way, it's one of the fastest growing, if not the biggest sports podcast in the country. But there's one thing he always says, because he works for ESPN, For everybody who complains, think of ESPN as a big buffet, a giant buffet. So the podcast world is this. Fellow podcasters, think of this as a giant buffet. You as a consumer and or a content maker has access to all these different cuisines. If they don't like what you're serving, there's seemingly an infinite amount of other places to consume the food, consume the content. Even the world-famous chef Bobby Flay has a style to his cooking. He can cook a lot of stuff, but he has a specific style that he's known for. He's a rare case, however, that can cook just about anything. But you as a consumer would be stoked to eat it because it's Bobby Flay. So that's a rare exception where people, they'll buy into it because it's him, not just because of the content, because he's earned the right to be him and still bring the people in. None of us indie podcasters are Bobby Flay. We cook what we cook, they consume what they consume. 
or move on. Even an omelet bar has limits. Regardless of how you want your omelet, at the end of the day, it's still an omelet. You don't make paninis if you're an omelet chef. To my podcast example, prior to catering to a small business grown crowd, that style of show is an omelet bar. If you want paninis, it's somewhere else in the buffet. There's a ton of great indie podcasters out there, and they're all doing it their own way. Look at them. They're on episode 50, 90, 100. They've been doing it for three years. None of these people crowdsource for content. They say, this is our show. This is what we're serving. Hopefully, you consume it and love it and stick around or add us to your list of must-eats every time you're in town. None of them are asking for subjects. What should I talk about? And this isn't to discourage anybody out there if you're listening to this and you're brand new, but just understand, have a plan. If you're trying to do three podcasts a week and you're running out of content, save those notes, put them together and do one podcast a week and combine all those notes. And now you have a longer podcast and you have a week to think about what you want to talk about. My food station is my podcast. I don't ask you what you want me to serve because I make what I make. You consume it because you're here for my content. Maybe I cook it better than some and not as well as others. This is my food station. This is my product. This is my podcast. When we get back, Brian Calma. Brian, welcome back. Good to be back, man. I know you thought you were done with this podcast for a while, so I guess this is technically, <laughs> you know, six out of the last eight weeks. I don't or seven weeks. I don't remember how long ago it was when the last dance ended. Was it two weeks ago? I think it was two weeks ago. Yeah, but um, yeah, I've been here every single week, and it's been fun. Well, I'm glad to have you back because as much as I want it to be done, we're not done. You know, Isaiah Thomas, there's a lot of stuff going on lately about the Dream Team, and I wouldn't tell her to record a conversation, I guess, but maybe a reporter picked up you know, in, in an interview session. Yeah. Former players coming out. We still haven't heard from Scottie Pippen and we'll probably never hear from Michael Jordan anytime right. soon. Let's go to the dream team stuff really quick. All right. On all these shows all over the place. Cause in the documentary, Michael Jordan said he had, I don't remember what the exact quote is, but basically he, he had nothing to do with Isaiah Thomas not being on the team. Yeah. I think he said something to the effect of um, he wasn't the person who basically said straight out that he didn't want him on the team in those exact words. And so audio was surfaced this week, the week of May 27th, mm-hmm. where or he said he didn't want to play if Isaiah Thomas was going to be on the team. Right. To me, and I'll explain why in a few, to me, that's not the same thing as him saying he didn't want Isaiah Thomas on the team. And I know it's probably splitting hairs and it was probably semantics but now that this has come out like what are your thoughts of that do you think mj's was lying because a lot of people don't like the documentary because it's through him yeah and and the thing with that quote that they picked up from that interview in 2011 is that he said that charles barkley was the one who didn't want um, isaiah thomas on the team and you know it's it's kind of i don't want to say disappointing but it's it's like you know it's just the fact that he brought up Charles Barkley's name on there, and it, it very well might be true, but, you know, it it would be another thing if Charles said it, you know, himself, you know, during an interview. But, you know, for Michael to bring it up during an interview with Charles not even there, you know, it, it almost makes you question if, if it's true or not. Um, we covered it in one of the episodes from one of the bonus episodes if, you know, we all thought that, you know, Michael was the one who said that he didn't want Isaiah there. And I know that a few of us had said that, you know, that may be the case. And, 
none of us believed that he was the only one. I don't, and I still stick by that. I don't think he was the only one. Maybe Charles didn't want him there either. And, you know, I also brought up the fact that there was that rift between him and Magic Johnson. And so I, I believe that, you know, somebody other than Michael had told leadership for the dream team that they didn't wish to have Isaiah Thomas on the team with them. But as far as the differences in the way that it was portrayed, with, you know, from the interview from 2011 to uh, the interview for the Last Dance docuseries, Jordan just seemed to be a little bit less detailed in his explanation of it, you know, for the Last Dance documentary, which almost makes me think, you know, is he trying to maybe not be so in the limelight as the person who didn't want him on the team or the last voice? I interpreted that a little differently. And then maybe that's the thing, because he said, Chuck, I assumed it was Chuck Daly, the coach. Mm-hmm. But they came out, it, he confirmed that he was indeed talking about Charles Barkley. Yeah, I believe so. If I had heard it correctly, I, I believe he said Charles Barkley. Or, you know, if, if we do have some audio to go back to, maybe sometime after this, we can, you know, confirm that. But maybe, you know, maybe if he did say Chuck, I, I assume Chuck, Charles Barkley. Right. I think it's a war of words, it's semantics. Because I do remember Jordan was one of the last players to actually confirm mm-hmm. because he didn't want to play on the Dream Team and it had nothing to do with who was playing. It's just he didn't want to play because he was getting tired, as we talked about before. Yeah, and he played in previous Olympics already and won gold medals, so it wasn't new to him. Right. To me, it's different than saying, I'm not going to play if Brian, you, I'm mm-hmm. not going to play if Brian's going to be there. Right. Versus me saying, if you were on the team, because you're going to be Isaiah, I don't want you to necessarily be left off the team. I'm just not playing if you're going to be on the team. So if you're going to right. be on the team, cool, go be on the team. I didn't process that as me or him. Yeah. But I understand how it could be processed like that. It's yeah reading in between the lines. But yeah, it's well documented. And it also said that none of the other players went to bat for Isaiah. To me, I think that's right. a very important Thing. So I think people are really holding on to this, and understandably so, this audio that has resurfaced mm-hmm. of Jordan saying those things, but we're still missing the fact that nobody else on the team seemed to really want him there because nobody stepped up to go to bat for Isaiah Thomas when he was left off the team. Right, and that's why, you know, I, I say that, um, you know, even, like I said, even if Michael will admit just, you know, verbatim that he didn't want him on the team, that there were others who didn't want him on the team either. And it was probably just because of his reputation. I mean, we don't know a whole lot about it because, you know, at least for me, I haven't heard or seen or read very much of what other superstars of the day felt about Isaiah Thomas personally. You know what they felt about the bad boys. And, you know, I'm sure that that's, you know, the main reason why he had the reputation he did with his peers. And I think that that more than anything spoke to why he wasn't on the team, you know, when the roster was finalized. Yeah. I think it could be one of those things where those guys talk to each other and it's like, okay, well, who who do we have? Well, we got MJ Uh yet. Well, no, MJ said he's not going to play if Isaiah's not playing. And the rest of them are probably like, Mm -hmm. or if Isaiah's playing, the rest of them are probably like, well, we'd rather have MJ. Right. Why has nobody come forward from that dream team? No one is that's coming forward. Question. I mean, that's just, that's a burning question. I heard Isaiah on Speak for Yourself the other day, and him and Jason Whitlock are really good friends. So Whitlock had him on there. 
he didn't say anything bad about Jordan, but he was extremely passive aggressive in some of the things that he said. Mm-hmm. They could not get him to admit that he didn't like Jordan, uh, but it was clear uh, mm-hmm. that he had been bothered, even though he said he didn't. He wasn't bothered about it, saying things like, well, we don't have a rivalry because my team was always better than his. We always beat yeah. him. He wasn't our competition, which is facts because right. Jordan played on a scrubby team. Yeah. But I just kind of found that interesting. Let's move forward. Former players, so Horace Grant still won't shut the fuck up. I'm finding <laughs> yeah. him on so many YouTube videos where he's still talking mad shit. And mm-hmm. at this point, he's not even talking. It's like he's not even talking about himself as much anymore. He's, right. he's, he's calling out Jordan for calling out the entire team, which I think is incorrect when you dissect the interview. They mm-hmm. asked Jordan about the cocaine bulls or whatever they were called. Right. He laughed abruptly. He confirmed that something that everybody in the NBA was already doing. Charles Oakley mm-hmm. said the same thing. He said everybody was doing that at the time. It was the same thing for me. Yeah. I just chose not to partake. You yeah. know, and that's all Horace Grant is doing is he's is he's just calling MJ out for being a snitch. I don't we talked about it, I think. What stay, happens in the locker room stays in the locker room, although that was in the mm-hmm. hotel room. I don't consider that snitching because he didn't name right. anybody. He was just confirming that those were the times. Mm-hmm. But then he's defending Scotty, and Craig Hodges is defending Scotty. And Bill Cartwright, I saw him on one. He didn't really say anything bad about anybody. He was just kind of questioning right. some of the same some of the same things as we had before. Right. What's the end game, do you think, for Horace Grant? Now, obviously, now that this magazine has come out from 1993, Inside Sports, where Horace Grant is on the cover next to Scotty, with quotes talking shit about Scotty, talking shit about Phil Jackson. Mm-hmm. I remember he was very unhappy back then for him right. to come out now and act like that he was an angel. Yeah. I don't know what, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, a couple of things. So the first one is, um, I think that, you know, when it was aired that, you know, Jordan said that Horace was the one who was divulging information to Sam Smith for the Jordan rules book. I think that's what kind of really put him over the edge and started off this firestorm. Yeah. Um, but if, I think maybe going back and looking at his playing days, Horace Grant was really good. I mean, he was such a vital part of that uh, of that run with the Bulls. Um, but I think I, I don't know that he liked being third or fourth fiddle on that team. Anybody who makes it to the league is somebody who is a legitimate basketball player. I mean, these guys were you know stars dating back to like you know grade school and and college and then you know it's and, and you're a starter on a championship team too yeah exactly and so um he see he comes to the bulls they they have the championship run you know he's probably seeing michael get paid and, and so it's probably you know one of those things where, where where's my piece of the pie you know I, i'm important too so there there was probably a jealousy factor in all of that I, w- I would imagine that you know that's that's pretty common on any team and so part of me wonders then going back to, you know, Jordan maybe pointing him out and saying, well, Horace was the one who was giving information to Sam Smith. So now that Horace is reacting this way to that statement, does that make you think then that maybe Jordan was telling the truth? And so is Horace kind of um, overcompensating here? And, yeah, because and now he's got to he's got to respond. He's got to yeah. family, friends. People uh-huh. that don't yeah. remember, people are probably blowing them up as soon as as soon as it happened. Like, damn, dude, that was you, right? Exactly. So his end game is to clear his name amongst family and friends. 
It's got to be. Absolutely. 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 Uh, why wouldn't he you just know, say, it, yeah, I said a few things, but I absolutely wasn't the only one because at the time, that's how I felt. That's easy. That's well, easy. Wouldn't he be, quote unquote, snitching on that end, right? He wouldn't be naming names. But, you know, it's almost like, well, you know, okay, fine. I did say something, but I wasn't the only one. And so it's it's almost like, you know, the misery loves company type of thing. You know, he doesn't want to be the only one. So he's kind of leaving that carrot out there. Yeah, I don't, I don't I don't know what Horace Grant's doing. Uh, I wanted to go back for a second for something that Isaiah Thomas said in that interview, and, and I meant to talk okay. about it earlier. Yeah. When asked about walking off the court, he said he doubled down on, in hindsight, he probably wouldn't have done it, which some people say that's a weak move of him. I don't think that's a weak move of him at all. I think it's a very responsible, mature move of him to look back and say, I, I would have done it differently. Right. But he said the reason was is because you know, Jordan went and had all those negative quotes about them not being deserving champions. Right. And I can understand, like, fuck you. You said yeah. we're not deserving champions. We're not shaking your hand. Good luck. Next level. Right. Like, to me, that makes a lot more sense For than, sure. than the bullshit. I'm just going to duck away from the camera, and this is how we were handed it, and we're handing it to you the same way. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought up the ducks, too, because – um, I was seeing some footage of that earlier. Um, I was watching something on ESPN or it was uh, like on the background while I was working and it was, the TV was on and they, they showed that, that footage of, you know, the, the Pistons line walking by, uh, the Bulls. And that action just stood out to me. Every time I watch it, it's Isaiah ducking his head, especially right in front of Jordan. And I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if, Maybe part of me looks at it and is just like, did he really want to do it? Because if you really wanted to show somebody up, not shake their hands and, and not wait until the you know the buzzer goes off, you know, wouldn't you just like, you know, walk tall, shoulders back, head and chin up instead of like kind of ducking down, you know? You it's, it almost makes it almost makes me feel like he felt like he was forced to do it, maybe. Or if he didn't do it, then his teammates would, you know, call him a sellout or punk him out because of it. You know? No, because that's Bill Ambeer, because I heard Joe Dumars on the interview mm-hmm. and he waited. He, he actually, I assumed the whole team went in. Right. But I know John Sally didn't, but I was right. shocked. Joe Dumars has, has been n- nothing but a class act. And he said he actually yeah. waited. He waited yeah. and, and talked to Jordan and he shook his hand and wished him good luck because they're fierce competitors. Yeah. And they couldn't get him to say anything bad either. And but that yeah. just, you know, speaks to the character, Joe Dumars. But yeah, I agree with you though, with, with Isaiah, if, you know, if it was really, you know, what Jordan had said, all the remarks about the players personally, and it wasn't about the uh, Celtics, you know, handing them their losses and doing the same thing, then it does seem a little bit more credible in in that case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wish that they would have added that to the documentary. Yeah. The controversy of Jordan talking shit. And listening to Jason, the producer, director, whatever he is, he said MJ, for the most part, stayed as far away from the process. Right. Like he saw stuff just before everybody else saw it, but he really didn't have much involvement yeah. you know, in, in the whole process. And if that's true, then I think that's a, it's one of the biggest misconceptions that he just stood there on the cutting room floor and told them what to use and what not to use. Sure. Yeah. One thing we don't know, one thing we'll never know, is how much stuff was on the cutting room floor. Mm. Because I know yeah. that he had said that they'd, had, they'd interviewed Michael several times. Now, I'd assume everybody they interviewed, they interviewed for more than five minutes. Mm-hmm. Like some people they interviewed for over an hour. Some people, they, he, he's been a couple of days with Jordan. Yeah. And so as an editor, 
I'd imagine you're going through and you're adding stuff for effect too. So we don't know the whole context of the conversation with regard to George talking about the Pistons when he called Isaiah Thomas an asshole. Because mm-hmm. what went viral is Michael Jordan, 30 years later, still thinks he's an asshole. Right. But what it really it probably is, is I thought he was an asshole at the time for doing it. At the time, right. And I heard Jason Whitlock say something about now Jordan said it was at the time, but that would have been nice. They put that in documentary. I couldn't find that anywhere. Yeah. But we need closure because there's so many questions out there. Where's Scotty? Right. That's a great question, too, because um, I don't know if you watch um, the show on um, ESPN, The Jump, that Rachel Nichols hosts. I try not to. I see clips every once in a while. Yeah. So I, I used to just, uh, again, during my work day, I would always have it on ESPN pretty much all day. And um, it comes out around noontime. And for a little while there, uh, before the documentary started airing, Scotty was a regular on there. Yeah, I know like, that. Yep. Yeah, him and T-Mac, Steven Jackson, um, you know, those, those guys, they were, you know, and they were always on. Um, but yeah, there was, there was definitely a difference after the documentary started airing and you just have not heard from Pippen at all. <laughs> he hasn't made any guest appearances at all. And all you see are just all of these different like third person accounts of how pissed off he is about the way that he's been portrayed during the series. Yeah. And then we agree. I mean, there's some of the stuff was a little terrible portraying him and, like JR had said, it would have been nice if they had continued that season. Maybe if they showed the Bulls and the Hugh Holland's call getting knocked out of the playoffs. Right. I'm not sure that they needed to really highlight the 1.8 seconds. Knowing Jordan, we don't know Jordan, but knowing Jordan publicly, that could be his way of saying, you've said Kobe's better than me. You've said LeBron's better than me in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fucking torture ass in this documentary. Like, I don't, we, we don't know. And that's the basement of my next and final question is, where the fuck is MJ? Yeah. He's made That's a great question. It, he's so inaccessible. Yeah. He's always been and, like that. Yeah, and I I agree with you there. It's you never really saw MJ even during his, you know, his heyday, unless he was on something like the Oprah Winfrey show. Or it was something just like just like some type of event, right? Um, you never really saw him too much on just regular interviews and things like that. Not that I remember, not that I recall. No, you're right. I mean, we didn't have, I mean, Sports Center was a Sports Center and obviously stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I mean, as as this documentary started, he was on Good Morning America. Mm-hmm. But we know, yeah, so we know and, he's alive. Where the fuck is he? Right. Um, maybe quarantining. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, you you would think that he would want to have his say in order to uh, respond to some of the things that have been said, especially from, especially from Horace, especially from Isaiah, because, um, I think one thing you can glean from the series is that if something is said or something that is done and it doesn't necessarily have to be directed towards Jordan, he will have something to say in response to it, you know? And back then, yes, a lot of his talking had to be on the court and stuff, but you never really saw somebody who, you know, would take something that somebody says, especially if it's something on the negative and then just back away. There was always some type of response. I would love for him to come out and explain the horror stuff. Maybe he figures he just doesn't have to. Like, I've heard his son Marcus on a bunch of interviews lately. Or explain the Scotty stuff, the Isaiah Thomas stuff. And he may have actually, like I said earlier, he may have actually explained more about the Dream Team and Isaiah Thomas stuff. We wouldn't know because it's on the cutting room floor. Right. And part of me also thinks this, too, is that 
maybe maybe it also has to do with another topic that was brought up during a previous episode is you know he didn't talk much about like social issues things like that like like we know today especially the last few days we see we've seen a lot of things a lot of things on the negative in this country that have been pasted on our uh our, our social media feeds and all over the news and you hear a lot about the athletes putting it on their social media accounts and talking out about it um jordan was never that way and i think one of one of the reasons why is that not only did he want to uphold his brand you know and stay in the neutral lane but maybe it's just that he doesn't want to stain whatever mystique or whatever personality he has in the public eye you know just having the the perfect persona all that's gone out the window though right now so if there's ever a time for Superman to return, if there's ever a time for Batman okay. the Dark Knight to rise, this would be the time. That being said, Brian, thank you for joining the show. We'll get you back on once Real Sports starts going back up. You'll be our official sports, sports uh, whatever the word is. <laughs> always a pleasure, man. Uh, you know, it's always fun chopping it up. And, uh, you know, let me know. I'd love to come back on again and uh, talk more sports with you. want to thank Brian Calmer for coming back on again. This is his sixth episode in a row. That is a new record. Talking to people like Brian kind of takes me back to some of my old school relationships because that time went by. We talked for 30 something minutes. That time went by way too quick. And it reminded me a couple weeks ago, I was going through closet downstairs looking for an old pair of Jordans that I had in preparation for the flu game, which ended up being the food poisoning game due to some bad pizza. And I found some of my old drawings, which were really cool to see. I used to be an artist or thought I was going to be an artist. You can check those out on my Instagram. There's an Instagram story. Also on the on the YouTube page, there's a, um, a clickbait about finding my OG Jordans in the closet. In digging through all that stuff, I found another box with my name on it. Opened it up and found a bunch of old VHS tapes, home movies. Some of them were recorded off a of TV. Some of them were the big camcorder. So we used to have these giant camcorders. They were like the size of a briefcase. Not quite a carry-on luggage, but they were pretty big. And you put the big-ass cassette tape in there, and you close it, and you hit record. So that footage is us playing flag football. We're talking 1995, 96, 97 footage. Sent them off to a a friend of mine on Instagram in El Paso. He's going to convert all that stuff to digital, and I'll have some of it up on my YouTube. And I'm going to show some of it on Instagram. A lot of that stuff is just, it's just lost footage. I'm hoping on there somewhere is me and my friend Scott at an indoor wreck called Halford, which is in Garland, Texas. You go to Halford during the day. I don't know what it was. It wasn't very busy, so it wasn't a weekend. And we were just playing ball, playing some one-on-one, practicing dunking. I was dressed head to toe in Chicago Bulls gear. I had the authentic shit. I had the NBA socks with the logo on there. I had official Bulls shorts. I had a Scottie Pippen jersey. I had a gold chain on. Someone stole that Scottie Pippen jersey from me, and I'll never get over it because that was authentic. Back in the day, it was really hard to get authentic gear. Nobody had it. So if you spent the money and you got it, everybody else wanted it. Like a pair of Jordans, if you turn your head, it would get stolen. Somebody stole that jersey from me. That shit sucks. But I'm hoping that uh, I should have that information soon. Coming up, I'm going to talk a little bit about an old rental car, and that'll be my rental car of the week. 
Drill Car of the Week is sponsored by High Quality Detail out of Tempe, Arizona. They specialize in premium vehicle protection solutions and cosmetic customizations as your one-stop shop, ranging from basic detail and options through ceramic coating, paint correction, protective film, and more. Visit Ceramic Pro Arizona, one word, or higherqualitydetail.com. Hire is one word, H-Y-E-R, first name of the owner, higherqualitydetail.com. Go online, get started, looking your best today. Since I don't have a job yet, nobody's traveling, I'm going to talk about an old rental car I had, so I decided to kind of reach into the archives mentally and pull out the 2018 Mitsubishi Outlander Sport SE. I say SE because SE is important, because if you get the ES and the LE trim levels, you know that you have an entry-level SUV. But with the SE, you still have an entry-level SUV, but it has all the nice stuff. It's got keyless entry, heated seats, touchscreen interface. You know, Apple CarPlay, which is my deal. No CarPlay, no J. So I picked this thing up. This thing was red. So I was working a job in Cooperstown, New York, which is where the Baseball Hall of Fame is. I don't know why. <laughs> That's the only thing Cooperstown is known for is the Hall of Fame. Stayed at a Holiday and Express, too. Anyway, picked it up into Albany. So the only way to get to Cooperstown, really, is you either fly into Albany or you fly into Syracuse or Schenectady. Schenectady? Albany, Schenectady? Albany, Syracuse? Maybe Syracuse. Anyway, so you pick up your rental car and you have to drive like an hour and a half. And this was in the dead of the winter. It's cold as shit. And I remember this vehicle because it felt good. I mean, the interior was all right. Um, the interface, I was loving it. Just put in a podcast or some some nice music. The drive was enjoyable. The critics didn't like it very much, but the people seemed to like it a lot. For me personally, I love the fact that it had HIDs, which are high-intensity discharge headlights. Like a lot of vehicles have that, but not a lot of entry-level vehicles. This is Make no mistake, this is an entry-level SUV. And if you have one of these, good for you. I think it was a lot of fun. Kind of zipped around, looked kind of sporty. Had all the, the creature comforts of more expensive cars or more expensive SUVs without the price tag. I mean, this is like a $14,000 car, really, at the end of the day. It's like a $14,000 car. Everything that I mentioned before for fourteen grand, four doors, obviously SUV. is perfect if you're just starting out, young business professional, married couple, have a, have a new child, have two small children. Be perfect car to cruise across the country in, run errands in. So if you ever get an opportunity to pick one up, I would pick one up if the place you're renting from has a small SUV. It's probably one of the better ones. If you have the giant luggage, I don't know, because when I travel, it's just me and a carry-on for the most part. So what do they say about it? What are the pros and cons? Well, the pros is it's well-equipped for the price, which I've already told you guys is very well-equipped for the price. It has a generous warranty, which I don't care about when I'm renting a car, but if you're going to buy the car as a used car, maybe you care about stuff like that. $14,000 car. So they complain about the ride quality. Interior materials look look and feel cheap. Again, entry-level SUV. Transmission is aggravating due to slow response, especially with the 2.0 liter engine, which is why I told you to get the SE, not the ES or the LE. However, the consumers give it a four and a half out of five stars. And when I kind of go through what they were saying about the vehicle, they were saying that they don't pay attention to the experts. They have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, they are the experts. Would I rent one again? Absolutely. I would try out if they still make them. I don't even know if they, if they still make uh, Outlander Sports. I know my daughter has an Outlander. She bought one in 2019. I think I helped convince her. And she got a steal. I mean, it doesn't have keyless entry. It doesn't have automatic start. It doesn't have... Apple CarPlay, she got ripped off, man. Part of the thing that I got, but for some reason she wanted room for seven. It's just her and, and Zeke. She could have got a sport. Better looking car. Cuter. Better colors. 
Anyway, that's Jay's Rental Car of the Week, 2018 Mitsubishi Outlander Sport SE. It's time for the social media profile highlight of the week. Brought to you by NSX Channel on Instagram, your number one source for NSX content, whether it's bone stock or modified to look nice like my car or this week's guest. I want to welcome to the show, RJ of Kuya Automotive. RJ, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I feel so privileged to be on this show. It's me. No, no, no. It's me that's privileged to have you on here for perspective so people understand who you are. This is RJ. He was an Instagram profile highlight of the week early on. Has a beautiful blue NSX with a spoon NSX build. Essentially, I would have no chance to compete against this car if it was in Arizona. Fortunately for me, he's in Florida. So this is the guy who's on the phone, and now he has an NSX shop. How about that intro for you? <laughs> Sounds good, man. So tell us about Kuya Automotive. First off, Kuya, what does that mean? Where is it from? So the word Kuya if you're not Filipino, it means big brother. And it's not just like any big brother. This is like the big brother that takes care of you and, you know, shows you the ropes, helps you out. You know, you're backed up in a corner, you know, you can always call up your Kuya. When we are just, when I was deciding on a name for this company, or even to start the company, what was happening was people were asking me where I was getting all my parts from. And generally what was happening was that I was working with different um, manufacturers because they didn't have the stuff that I wanted. I'd want something in carbon fiber, titanium, specific things. There's not that many parts out there for NSX. So when people kept asking me, you know, I would eventually start helping them with their builds, giving them advice, actually being more excited about their build than them. Um, I'm, I'm known for that around here in Orlando and Miami. And uh, most people will be like, man, you're more excited about me ordering this part than I am. I'm like, <laughs> Dude, this is life, man. I'm a car, I'm a car guy. So when people kept saying that to me, they're like, "Yeah, you're." I look up to you, man. Like, you know, you help me out with my build. So, you know, Kuya just ended up making sense at that point. No, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it's like Big Brother protection. Big Brother's got your back. This automotive, yep. we got you. We got you taken care of. You can trust us. Come to us. We'll take care of you then. Right. And so right. your shop, you have all these cool NSX parts. That's even one of the first things I noticed when I asked you. I go, do you have just used parts? you have new parts? And looks like you carry some of the stuff that's been under development and you're looking to another means of right. for us to buy stuff. Because NSX stuff is really hard. That's one thing that people don't understand is there's not a big aftermarket. So you have to go to small shops to get things. So what are some of the things as an NSX owner that I can get from from your place? You hit it right. right you hit the nail on the head or what, whatever that saying is. Um, but basically... One of the problems I had when I first bought an NSX was that I was trying to find certain things that I would want. I'm used to building Honda Civics and Integras and all those kind of cars. And you can find everything under the moon for those cars. It's Everywhere. Easy. Yeah. You know, everybody's had experience with it. So everybody talked to, like, they point you in the right direction, at least. So with NSX, though, you can tell that it's a very small community, but there's a lot of different people making a lot of different small things that could help every NSX owner. So um, what it's becoming now, this shop is, the store is becoming is more of a place where I'm, I actually reach out to these, these small companies now or the small individuals and say, Hey, I see you selling this stuff. Do you want me to post it on my site, you know, and then give you an opportunity? Cause I, I have a lot of people coming to the site now. And um, so that that's actually in the works now. And it's just one place for, NSX people to go to, you know, I don't want to compete against people like 
science of speed or any other big companies out there that that's like their livelihood. My main thing is like, okay, let's find these little random people that are selling NSX parts and kind of gather them all in one place. So people don't have to like search for them. You're doing, you're an online retailer. You're a source that instead of me reaching out to these four different companies for these five different products, I can just reach out to you and get those five products. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a win-win. Yep. Another thing is, is that like, for example, like with the whole bulk ordering thing, I'll, I actually would order something for myself and then I would say, Hey, what happens if I buy just 10 of these? You know, sometimes the price completely changes at that point for stuff like that, like one time manufacturing. I've done that with a few different parts already. Um, so I do have some of my own products as well. That's specifically for the NSX. And again, we're talking to RJ of Kuya Automotive. Kuya, big brother, Kuya Automotive talking about selling, procuring, helping people find NSX parts. Are there any plans to expand outside of the NSX world or is right now is just specifically for NSX owners to go and buy some extra stuff that they could save some money and maybe get it all at the same place instead of ordering around? So there is um, a plan for that. So actually, I don't know if you're going to talk about this later, Jay, but the Acura TLX just got unveiled today. I am on a mission because... I need another car. So in doing that and looking for another car, it gives the opportunity for me to do something like this with my company with a new car as well. So I will be expanding it. It's come down right now to the FK8, the new Civic Type R, and or possibly the TLX, um, possibly the Type S. You know, that's really what's coming up. I do have partnerships with other companies as well. So if someone does ask me, like, say, oh, hey, I want exhaust for an S2000 or something, you know, I can do stuff like that, but I'm not going to be focused on it. So my site will not have all that stuff on there. But if someone asks me and I can help them, which happens a lot, I'll just go ahead and take care of the order and, you know, try to help them out. One thing I have with some of the companies that I've worked with like that before in the past is some sort of a distribution rights type of deal. And I think that's the best way to protect your investment. So yeah, any any type of advice like that, specifically like that, that's good for me here. So, you know, I'm open-minded for any changes for that or anything I can improve on. I see it. People are really starting to reach out to me to do stuff. And I'm like, like my newest thing, I don't know if you saw it yet today. People want the same badge that's on my car. So there was a little debate on that, I think, on the forum <laughs> I saw. Right. Um, I'm 99% sure it is new sports car experimental as opposed to new sports car experiment. Right. So actually the badge that I purchased, I bought this badge about six years ago, right when I bought the car, I bought it from some site. Um, and it actually says NSX new sport experimental. So it's missing the word car there, or it's missing, you know, I, I've heard four variations now of what NSX actually stands for. Um, I've had people bring out documentation and bring out magazines and send me pictures of it yeah. saying, hey, it should be this. There's just too many de- definitions for it. So I said, you know what? If people want it, I'll make it. And this is one of those things like and now I'm the one reaching out to the manufacturers to actually make it. And I just need to get a certain number of people to buy it to make it even affordable for everybody. So like if, if I only had one person that wanted it, it was like $90. So it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So I think it looks great on there. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and, and that's one of those things, man, like when you're building a car, right, you want it to be really like unique. Right. And what I'm finding the longer I'm, I'm doing this, uh, you know, I've been, I've been building cars for 20 years, but the longer I do this, um, the more I realize that 
like I'm just happy that people like my style and then they start imitate imitating. So what, what's that? What's that quote? Like imitation is the greatest form the of flattery. Form. Right, right. Yeah. So there's actually because you said it, I have a spoon build NSX. There's actually three more in Florida that are coming because I think, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily because of me, but, you know, I'd like to think that maybe because they saw my car up close, they're like, okay, you know, I, I really do like that. And then they, they're, they're actually coming out. One's already out in red. It's awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful car too, but yeah, there's going to be two more. So there's going to be four of us in Florida that have a very, very similar style. We're all going to be unique in our own way, but, um, yeah, I think, I, I, I'm, I'm like flattered when someone wants to do something like that. So even with this badge, when the guy kept asking me and asking me for it, I was like, okay, you know what? All right, let's just do it. All right, that sounds good. RJ, I want to thank you for coming on the show and talking about Kuya Automotive. If people want to follow on Instagram, it's K-U-Y-A underscore automotive. Yep. In your website. It's uh, com. just kuyaauto.com. Thanks. We'll be looking out. I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for coming on the show. All right. Thanks, Jay. Thanks. It's time for the Builder's Corner segment. Builder's Corner is sponsored by DressUpBolts.com. Follow them at DressUpBolts on Instagram and visit them at DressUpBolts.com. They have titanium bolts that only vastly improve the look of your vehicle, but serve as a purpose as well. Available to dress up the engine in the engine bay. Have kits ready to go for your specific application. So pay them a visit. Let them know Hard Parking Podcast sent you. In fact, use code HARDPARKING, one word, and save 10% today. Our guest coming back for the second time, now he's even more famous, is Chris Cut NS Extra on YouTube. You may have seen him cutting his NSX in half. Chris, what's up? What's up, man? I don't know about more famous, but... <laughs> you didn't have a YouTube page last time we talked. That's true. Yeah, I just started it up about five or six weeks ago. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we talked forever ago officially on the podcast we communicate quite often so you upload this this video and you cut your car in half well not your car but the other car that you bought yeah how much how much have you been hearing have people been kind of being like yeah that's awesome are they like how could you well, there's so few of us left so there's a mix i've got everything from people basically cheering me on to death threats <laughs> so the death threats are you know joking around i'm sure but it's just people are upset about it but uh for the most part, I've been getting some support. I'd say maybe one to two percent of the people are extremely negative about it. But uh, the way I look at it is I'm giving the car its only chance to be on the road. What a lot of people don't know and what I haven't really mentioned, I think, is I mean, I, I spoke about how the car was in a bad collision. But to be more specific about it, the car was actually hit in the rear bad enough to salvage the car and the owner had bought it back and repaired it and got a rebuilt title then the car was hit again in the front and this time it was hit so hard in the front that the floor actually buckled <laughs> and uh so it was salvaged for a second time and insurance companies won't allow you to rebuild it or send it to auction the second time that it's uh salvaged right. so this car could never be on the street legally ever again unless you were to hang a dealer plate on it or something. And uh, the the amount of money to get it restored to me just didn't seem like it would have been worth it. So, I mean, that explanation silences anybody who has a problem with it, to be honest. But yeah. Essentially, it's yours. So what, yeah. did you, what did you learn, since this is the Builder's Corner segment, I guess, what did you learn about cutting your car in half that somebody um, else needs to be prepared if they want to cut into their car, not necessarily in half, but 
Like what are some of the things that you discovered or you just kind of just kept cutting until you couldn't cut no more? So in, in all honesty, it, it took me way longer to decide where to cut than to actually cut. It, it took me months to figure out where I was going to cut the thing um, and only 10 minutes to actually cut it. And Ten something minutes. I've learned. Yeah. Um, I probably could have done it faster if I'd used my plasma cutter, but I think it would have not been a nice and straight a cut. Another thing I noticed is other people have built trailers out of cars, hot rods, yes. um, stuff like that. But uh, I did a lot of research and I couldn't find any videos on, you know, DIYs on it. And, you know, I wish that I could have because it would have made my life easier. This is all a learning process for me. So I feel like documenting it will hopefully help the car community and anybody that wants to do the same kind of crazy idea. Um, another thing I realized is people that do trailers out of wagons, hatchbacks, or even sedans, they cut them in the middle usually, and they keep the back doors intact. And for some reason, proportionally, those trailers look great. An NSX, on the other hand, when you start to cut it up, it starts to look weird. As beautiful of a car as it is, proportionally, a whole NSX looks nice. But when you start cutting it up in different sections, parts of it start to look strange. And I mean, I had a lot of options on where to cut this shell. I could have cut it, you know, at the front clip and and basically had you would have known as soon as you looked at it that it's an nsx um because i believe the doors are definitely part of the nsx that make it have its qualities and make it recognizable but i thought it would have been strange proportionally to carry around 80 percent of an nsx behind my other nsx so i that wasn't really an option and uh, it took a lot of time to decide where to actually cut it and in the end i just kind of said screw it and cut it so what people don't realize you cut up two NSXs in that video. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were trolling at first. I go, oh, this isn't actually the video. And I go, oh, shit. Yes, it is. Yeah, I bought some uh, RC cars to cut up. I bought three of them to cut up so I could do three different versions. And I ended up just, I kept, as I was looking through the photoshops, I kept coming back to this one design, which was basically 50% of an NSX cut at an angle. And so I did it on an RC car and it, it came out looking pretty much how I'd imagined it. So that's the style I just went with. So how long is Yay. it going to take you, do you think, from this point to finish it? Is it just going to be a, an end-of-the-year project or or what? Well, I'm behind schedule. Um, my plan was coming, right? the road trip is supposed to be coming. My plan was to leave towards the end of August to go uh, across the country with my dog. Um, but this whole COVID thing, and I hate to use it as an excuse, has kind of messed me up because I ordered some Workmeisters for the trailer, the NSX trailer, uh, to match the main NSX. And I ordered uh, air suspension. I haven't gotten any notice back about that yet for the trailer. Um, so I'm behind on getting parts, and I'm also behind on actually doing the fab work for the trailer. And I'm not a very experienced fabricator, especially with metal. I have zero fabrication uh, experience with metal work. But with carbon fiber, I have limited experience, so I think I'm going to try to do that. Um, so what I'll do is I'll use... Uh, one of the other NSXs for a mold, basically, for, for the doors. And I'll uh, go over them with carbon and just kind of get a rough shape of them. And then I have to figure out how to attach it to the actual trailer because they won't be functional doors. So, <laughs> Yeah, it looks like you have some uh, planning to do. Maybe reach out to some other fabricators and see what people are doing. Like some of the SEMA build guys might be able to chip in and help you out with some tips. 
Well, one of the things I'm going to have to learn, and I'm sure there's some kind of mathematical equation for it. I've heard the number 15% thrown around, but I think it's about 15% of the weight of the trailer is supposed to be on the tongue. So I'm going to have to figure out how long to make the tongue um, so I could have the proper amount of weight on the uh, hitch. And then the hitch on the NSX is another thing because not a lot of people have put hitches on NSXs. Um, they're not known for towing. So that's even... going to be its... It's got to be a customized bar for sure, because I can't even think of where you would do that. Where would you attach it on the on the lower subframe? Yeah, I, I'm thinking I will build kind of a box sort of in between the crossbar and the rear subframe rails. And it would be one piece on that. And then uh, maybe I'll incorporate the uh, crash beam, the bumper crash beam into it and mm. try to mount the hitch to it. I honestly haven't given it that much thought. I'm just kind of playing it by ear and just winging it. Well, cool. We'll be looking forward to the next phase of this project. I want to thank you for spending the time. You guys, once again, this is Chris Cut. If you want to follow him on Instagram, it's NSXtra, N-S-X-T-R-A, so no, no two X's, just one. And then his YouTube page, follow along on this build. It's an exciting build. No one's done it before with an NSX. Well, thanks, Jay. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you uh, giving me the time to come on. Of course. We'll talk to you again, as always. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you later. Thanks. See you. It's time for the Q&A segment, sponsored by Last Era Brand Motorsports Clothing. Celebrate and represent the last era of great cars. We're talking about the 80s and 90s or whatever you think is truly the last era. Follow them on Instagram at Last Era Brand, all one word, or go shopping at LastEraBrand.com, also one word. Tell them the Hard Parking Podcast sent you. Let's see, I don't know if I should do the car questions or the non-car questions. I only wanted to choose one of two of each. Ended up with four car questions and... Three non-car questions. Some of you have had your stuff read before. That means I don't have to send you anything. I can save on merchandise. Let's go to car questions first. So the first car question comes from Will. Will LS430, formerly known as Will Lotus. Congratulations on your baby girl, by the way. Is a big brake kit worth the price over a standard brake kit? In short, I'm going to say no. And here's why. Vehicles come from the factory with brakes. They can handle almost anything you throw at a vehicle in stock form. Once you start modifying the vehicle, you want to do autocross, you want to hit the track, whether you do a naturally aspirated build, you boost it, you supercharge. Now you have a lot more power to the vehicle. Now you want to upgrade your brakes. But if you're just doing car shows, cruising, just want the look, they're very expensive. Big brake kits can be extremely expensive. Nothing wrong with your stock brakes. If you want to spend the money and upgrade, go ahead. I have huge brakes on my NSX. I had big brakes on my NSX before I went turbo. I like the look, like the stopping power, but the OEM brakes work just fine. In fact, trivia for you guys. From 1991 to 2005, every single Honda NSX slash Acura NSX that was produced was driven by one of like a handful of test drivers over in Japan. And every single one of those cars went through the exact same rigorous testing as an NSX R. Stock brakes, nothing wrong with them. Chris Nestor asked, which is CRS Nestor, what's the first thing you would advise someone just coming into the car scene? I like how I pick questions that are basically essay responses, but I'll try to keep this brief. Depending on what they're trying to get into. So the scene means you're starting to show up to meets. Maybe you want to do car shows. Maybe just like hanging out, keeping up with the Joneses. I would say just keep an eye on what people are doing. You don't necessarily have to copy somebody. In fact, I wouldn't recommend you copy somebody. 
but there's not enough unique parts to go around depending on what type of car you have. Start asking questions. Don't get something just to get it, and don't get it just because everybody else has it and just think it's cool. Get the wheels you want. Ask questions on what tires to get. Don't always save the most money when you have an opportunity. Get the best bang for your buck, but don't buy something just because it's expensive and don't buy something just because it's cheap. Your car is your transportation device. You don't want your wheels breaking on you. You don't want your brakes breaking on you, no pun intended. You don't want your you don't want your tires blowing out. But don't say, hey guys, which wheel should I get? Because it's no longer your car, it's the community's car. See what I'm saying? So take it easy, pay attention, do what you want for you. It's okay to ask people their opinions, especially your friends. I smoke fat doobies, all one word asks, what JDM car would you choose over your NSX if you had to choose? I'll tell you what, I thought about this quite a bit. Because the arrogant response is, there really isn't one that I would pick. But what I'm thinking of when you say that is old school. The reality is there really isn't any JDM car that's as good as the NSX from the factory. That's the reason why it's premium. By the time the R34 came out, that's the only late 90s, early 2000s JDM car that can even hold a candle to the NSX. The R34 GTR is a beast. It's a little bulkier. It's not as sexy, but that's a hell of a car. The RX-7 FD, I'm sorry, guys. The Toyota Super, I'm sorry. They can't hold a candle. Look it up. The numbers-wise, the drivability, the attention to detail, the build quality, not even close. In fact, the Super drives like a boat. I've said it before. I'm saying it again. And I like them, but that's the reality. If I could pick any JDM car, though, I'd probably get an LFA. A lot of people don't like it. A lot of people love it. Apparently, no sound like any other car in the world. It's a true exotic. It's rare. That's a really nice car. So if I had to get rid of my NSX and swap out, money's not an option. For a true JDM car, I would get a Lexus LFA. Finally, NSX to ask, and you just heard him on the podcast, will you ever rewrap your car? Breaking news, no, because I plan to sell my car at some point in the next two years. If I keep it, maybe. Let's move on to the non-car questions. Andy Kugler, which is ST and little ST on Instagram, asks, what is your binge favorite show at the moment? I'm going to tell you what, we just got done watching season one of True Detective. I knew it was a good show. I just never got around to watching it when we had HBO. We no longer have HBO, but I decided to get the take advantage of some sort of special promo. We decided to keep it flipped over to HBO Max, HBO Max, whatever. But we just finished season one of True Detective. Matthew McConaughey, Woody Harrelson, partners, they hate each other. You're talking crazy crimes, murders, abductions, children, sick shit. Louisiana. Critics gave it 87. The audience gave it 97. Tells you everything you need to know. Another question for Will. What is the best breakfast combo? So I've stayed at some hotels where the breakfast is part of the deal. And I've had a coupon to stay at really nice hotels and not spend a dime. Once stayed at a place in the Big Sur, which is Carmel slash Monterey, California for Monterey Car Week. And I had a coupon, a virtual coupon, essentially. I can get breakfast for free for two people. So I ordered two plates. Got scrambled eggs with cheese, hard scrambled, side of bacon, raisin bread toast, fresh fruit, glass of orange juice, coffee, which came with a carafe. Sat there, ate it, overlooking the Big Sur, the rough waters of the ocean. That is the best breakfast combo. Other than that, Nice, delicious bacon, black coffee. So Mimi, ride or die, asked me this. And I typically hate these type of questions, but I decided to stick with it 
and do a little research. So I had a good answer. So you're stuck on an island with three things. What would you be stranded with? When I first saw this, I thought to myself, well, if I'm stuck on an island, chances are I was on vacation and shit got fucked up. So now I'm stuck on an island with my bathing suit and I don't have shit. Probably don't even have my wallet. Maybe I have my wallet. It's not going to be any good on an island. But I looked into things a little bit and I'm going to tell you the three things I would have on an island. Number one, a buck 808 Talon FMC 5160 fixed blade survival tactical bowing hunting knife. Found this thing on YouTube. It's an incredible knife. It makes that 1980s Rambo survival knife insignificant. I can do everything with this. So I figured I have to find out two other things. Number two, a life straw. You don't know what a life straw is? Look it up. One word, life straw. You can use it to drink almost anything outside of salt water. So hopefully there's a stream or there's fresh water on this island. I'm assuming there's fresh water on this island because if there isn't, I'm going to die anyway. Number three, a freestyle bivy pack. What this is, it's a backpack that weighs one pound that turns into a tent. Watched a video on it. Guy's been living out of this thing, traveling around the world for years. Sold a bunch of them because I, I figured, okay, I want a cup. I want something. But I want, I want something to carry around my life straw and my survival knife in. The only logical thing would be a bivy pack because I'm going to want to make a shelter. But now I don't have to make a shelter. I have one that I'm traveling around with me. Maybe I make an awning for the shelter with a bunch of palm fronds and shit. But that's it. Those are the three things I would take with me. The straw, the knife, and the bivy pack. Backpack, convertible, tent. And that is this week's Q&A. I want to thank Chris Cut for joining us. You can check him out on YouTube. Look up NS Extra, N-S-X-T-R-A, or look up Guy Cuts NSX. Some bigger accounts picked up on his video and they posted on their page, but support him. His is the only one. Right now he has 448 subscribers, several thousand views on that video. He should have 60,000 more views on this video and 10,000 more subscribers easily by now. So check him out. Also want to thank Brian Kamel for stopping by to talk sports. Also want to thank RJ Kuya Automotive. If you're an NSX owner and you want to check out his wares, go and check him out. Buy some stuff. On the next show, big time guest coming. I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to tell you who it is. But the next episode, there's a big time guest coming on the show. Pick up some show swag. Go to Teespring, the Hard Parking Podcast store. Follow us on Twitter at Hard Parking Pod. Follow me on Instagram at NA2NSX or JTravels, J-H-A-E underscore travels. All the links for our social media are in the description of this podcast. You can support this show also in the description for as little as 99 cents a month. Please follow, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast. Share this with a friend. I can't grow unless you guys share me. Special thanks to all my sponsors, Talk Mobile, Last Era Brand, Dress Up Bolts, NSX Channel, and Higher Quality Detail. Let's do this. Let's grow this thing together. 